Thank you for tuning in to today's audio message. Here at Temple Baptist Church, we are a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It really is good to see you, and thank you so much uh, for being here. And for uh, it's already been said, but for those who are here who are new among us, we certainly want to extend to you a very, very warm welcome. And of course, those who are joining us li- online, uh, from wherever you may be watching, we are glad to have you as well. Those kids, seriously, I'm ready to buy an album, a CD, a cassette, something. That was good. I said earlier uh, in the first service, I said, you could have the best recording artist here, and they would be overshadowed by our children, right? They're just, it's, what a delight, and what a privilege, by the way, for us as a church to have influence on a new generation that is being raised, and so uh, we're, we're definitely, uh, as a blessed church. Let me say, if, if I say this, Christmas is 15 days away. Does that stress you out? Because I feel like my blood pressure rises. Uh, you know, I'm just, um, I'm a little behind. No, that wouldn't be truthful, actually. I'm a lot behind. And so a lot needs to get uh, done over here the next uh, couple of weeks. And uh, talking about Christmas, once again, we certainly would love to have you at our Christmas Eve services, uh, 5 o'clock and 6.30. It'll be just a great uh, candlelight service together. You know, at Christmas time, for a lot of us, it's, um, it's family, it's friends, it's laughter, it's good food, and, and we think of all the great things about Christmas, but I also understand, too that Christmas can be hard for some. And I realize for some of you this year, maybe some of your family has moved away, and so you won't be celebrating together, so that makes it a little challenging. And then there are those who, you know, perhaps a loved one has passed away. Maybe you've lost your spouse uh, through death this year, and, and, and Christmas will, it's just going to be a lot different than you've experienced before. Or maybe you're, you're experiencing, you know, where families have been divided, and maybe, uh, you know, a divorce is pending. And so Christmas can be maybe very challenging for you. And for some, it's, it's going to be hard to deal with. And for some, as we approach Christmas, believe it or not, some feel like there's no hope at all. And if you find yourself here this morning, I want to say that you have found no better place than be right here. Because this is a place of hope. And uh, in fact, we've started a brand new series just last week called Hope, not just Hope General, but Hope for You. And for those who, you know, I know some have cataracts, have a hard time seeing, we built the letters eight feet tall for you, Hope, so there'll be no question uh, what our series is all about. So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, one of the things that we always do here at Temple Baptist Church is um, we open up the Bible. We always look at what God's Word has to say. So I always want, like to encourage people, bring your Bibles. There's something significant about when you see it for yourself on, on the pages. Now I realize some people don't have uh, their traditional Bible. You have the electronic Bible on your phone. That's fantastic as well. So turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. If the Bible is a little bit unfamiliar to you, um, 1 Kings is in the Old Testament. If you... Open your Bible's dead center, usually you will fall into the book of Psalms and take a sharp left and go back a few books and you'll find 1 Kings chapter uh, 19. Now for some of you here this morning, you've heard the story, and maybe you've even read the story yourself, and uh, so it may be a little familiar to you, but for others it's maybe the very first time. 
And, and as we're reading through the story, what I want you to do is just imagine now, uh, the story that we're going to read is, is a man who has reached the success of his life. Like He is on the top ladder, on the top rung. And then out of nowhere, he just spirals right down. And so as we're reading through this story, I, I want you to, to, to listen and to read along and see what is it that we can learn uh, from this man who who seemed to have everything at his fingertips. And then all of a sudden, he faces discouragement and depressed and he seems full of despair within just, it seems like, hours. One of the things that I, I'm discovering is you only come to the end of yourself when you think that tomorrow cannot be a better day. When you believe that there's not a future, for a beautiful future for you. And the person we're going to be looking at today had that. Like, he didn't see a brighter future. And so despair just seemed to, to grip him. So, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So just to get you caught up to speed, for those who may not be familiar with the story, Elijah has challenged some false prophets, false prophets of Baal. There's about 450 of them. And so people were vacillating. The people of Israel were vacillating to either whether to serve God or serve Baal. And Elijah comes forth and says, let's put it to the test. Let's build two altars. We'll put a sacrifice on top, and we'll call our God from heaven to devour our sacrifice. And so Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, you go first. You go first. And so uh, they sacrifice the animal. They put it on top of the altar. And then it says that the prophets of Baal, about 450 of them, they begin to call out to Baal, and they, and starting in the morning, and they cry out, and they, and they yell out, and they, and they ask, Baal, would you send down fire to consume the sacrifice? And nothing happens. And, and hours go by, and now it's noontime, and, and it seems like Elijah likes to prod a little bit, and he says, oh, perhaps he didn't put his hearing aids in today. Maybe you should speak a little bit louder. And so they start yelling a little bit louder, and then he teases them a little bit more by saying, perhaps he's gone fishing, maybe he's gone hunting, maybe he's not around. And then it says that the prophets of Baal begin to cut themselves. It says, in fact, the blood started flowing, just doing something so Baal would hear them, and of course, all morning, afternoon, nothing. And so Elijah says, okay. And uh, he goes to the sacrifice and he puts it on the altar. And before he calls it to God, he says, you know, drench the altar with water. And so they get a bunch of water and they just cover the, uh, the sacrifice with water. He has built a trench around it and he says, go get some more water. And they douse it again. Go, go get some more water. And they just saturated it until the trench was filled with water also around the sacrifice. And then he called from the God of heaven. And whoosh, like that. Fire came down from heaven. Not only consumed the sacrifice, but the altar, all the rocks, all the water, the, the dirt all the way around uh, the, the sacrifice as well. And at that point it says the people of God literally fell down on their faces because they realized who was the real true God. And so then Elijah goes, they gather the false prophets, and it says they, they slew them, they killed them. And so now Elijah has just has been witness. He's the king. He's just witnessed it all, and he's gone home to his wife, and he has shared the story to his wife. So let's pick it up. 
Verse 2. So Jezebel, after hearing the story, sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And now, would you not think, Elijah is just, he's like, just experienced like the, the greatest thing of his ministry. You would think that he would just kind of give a little smirk and say, really? You would think he would say, come on, bring it on, lady. Bring it on. You know, but that's not what he does. I mean, you would think, I just, we just killed 450 of your prophets because they were false. Uh, you don't scare me. That's what I, you would expect. It kind of reminds me of the uh, story, maybe you heard of it, uh, about the older gentleman who was in a church in Europe, and there was a church service going on, and they're singing these songs of praise, and all of a sudden the devil himself comes right into the church. And he says, you people, get out of this church. And half the people, they run, they're fearful, they're scared to death, and, but half the congregation stays, and he makes his way through the aisles, and I said, I'm the devil, get out of here. So everybody leaves except the old man in the front pew. One old gentleman. And the devil came up to him and says, Do you not know who I am? I am evil incarnate. And he looked at the devil and he says, You don't scare me. I've been married to your sister for 50 years. <laughs> you would think that would be Elijah's uh, thoughts. You don't scare me. But what we find, he is really afraid. In fact, let's just keep reading. It says in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I, I, I've had it. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Just take my life. I am no better than my ancestor. Then he laid down under a tree and fell asleep, and I think he hoped he'd never wake up again. Here's a prophet of God. You know, a man who's been called by God, a man who's lived a godly life, a righteous life, and he has these thoughts of suicide. By the way, he is not the only prophet of God who's had suicide thoughts. You think of Jonah. Oh, Jonah was mad at God, and he had these same thoughts. God, just kill me now. Well, that's, that's what Elijah's thoughts are. I, I don't want to live any longer. We'll see what happens. Let's continue. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. So Elijah's been sleeping for quite a while. He, says, he looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I, I've been very zealous for the Lord God uh, Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Uh, broken down your altars, they put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, just in case God had forgotten, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. The Lord said to him, go back the way that you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nishmi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meloha, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to the Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. There's Elijah feeling just moments of despair, just wondering, where is God? And what I want to highlight is 24 hours earlier, he, he's literally climbed the ladder of success, if you want to say it, in ministry. Like he has experienced something he has never experienced before. And so quickly, he falls to the lowest part of his life. Feels hopeless. He's full of despair. He's depressed. He's anxious. He's so uncertain about the future. And this is a man who we call a godly man, a prophet of God. I mean, his life has been set apart. He's been called out. We would consider him a hero of the faith. Look at him. He's full of discouragement. He's depressed. This story, to me, is a great example. That even if you are walking with God, you can have, a, you can have bad days and bad moments in your life. You know, sometimes you just think, oh, it's all good, it's all blessed. You know, I'm walking with Jesus, no, no bad days ahead of me. But that's not Elijah's story. In fact, he's tormented. And yet, he's a prophet of God. Which says to us, when you read this story, success does not immune you from depression or discouragement or feeling a sense of hopelessness. And I can give you a personal, a great example. In October, we made the decision as leadership, elders, deacons, staff, that we were going to go to two services in October because we, were, we had no parking left. And, and so we went to two services, and, and it's been a struggle. We we're trying to learn some things. There's still lots of kinks to be worked out, and it's been hard along the way. And uh, we didn't say this, but in the first week, two weeks of November, we actually we were so excited because um, it seemed like we were reaching more people. Because uh, that, that's part of our mission statement, you know, connect people to Jesus and to one another. Like, we want to have more disciples, and we want to have better disciples of Jesus. And so, November, first week of November hits, and, and uh, we break the thousand mark as far as attendance. 
It was like, oh my goodness, the staff were like kind of exciting. Then week two, we're like, we went a little higher as we broke the thousand mark. We're like, this is so exciting. We've reached this great milestone for us as a family. You would think that we could live off of that for months to come. But it is amazing. You know, you come out with this high, and then all of a sudden, you know, some rumors get back to you. You know, maybe some people are complaining. Some, and all of a sudden, you're, you're living on this mountain, and, and out of nowhere, you feel yourself beginning to spiral down. You're like, well, why is this? We, we just broke a thousand. Let's jump and celebrate. And then I find myself just on a Monday, spiraling down. You know, discouraged because you know, maybe people would, you know, complain or, or say something. And, and then I look at myself and I go, Donald, think about it. You have the dream life. That's what I think to myself. I go, Donald, you grew up in a family, parents that loved each other, loved their kids, grandparents that loved you, invested in you, great-grandparents that followed the Lord, great-great-grandparents. I mean, Donald, you come from an incredible legacy. You grew up in an awesome church. You, you had opportunities to play high-level sports. You, you graduated with valedictorian. You've had the opportunity to travel the world. Uh, your dream job is to be a pastor. You are living your dream, Donald. I have everything in the world. I should be jumping for joy all the time. But isn't that funny, with all of that, how you can still feel moments of discouragement, which is a reminder, success does not immune you from being discouraged and depressed. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, well, the reason I am discouraged and depressed is because I haven't been successful. I'm telling you, you can have all the applause of your peers. You can have the perfect family, the perfect spouse, the perfect career, live in the perfect neighborhood, have the perfect job, the perfect spouse, have it all, and still have moments that you feel despair. Success is not, does not immune you from feeling discouraged. I mean, perfect example, Elijah is at the pinnacle of his ministry. And look how quick he spirals down. Depression, maybe discouragement, feeling moments of despair, emptiness, is also, does not mean that God is absent. You know, some people say, well, the reason I'm so discouraged is because God is not near. You know, God has left me. Well, look at Elijah. Elijah is running for his life. And guess where God is? Running right alongside of him. God hasn't gone anywhere when it comes to Elijah. In fact, what you find out, I mean, Elijah is exhausted. He falls asleep. And what does God do? Elijah wakes up, and there's a hot meal there for him. God hasn't left Elijah. He, he's right there. He's ready to feed Elijah. And then, of course, from that alone, he, he's able to run for 40 more days, go hard at it. It seems like he does that until he's ready to have a conversation with God. Elijah is actually having the worst moment in his life, yet God's right there with him. So I don't want you to let people say the reason you're feeling discouraged or you feel moments of despair is because, well, God has abandoned you. That's not true. You can have those moments, and God's very close. Depression is not a proof that God is distant. It's just proof that we're broken people. 
And our emotional well-being is really just as important as our physical well-being. Well, some will say, well, you shouldn't be depressed. You have Jesus in your life. Sometimes that's how we treat people who have been hurt deep in the soul. You know, we want to say, come on, you got Jesus. Get up and run. Look at King David. I mean, how many times he was living up here and then down here, God, what have you done? And, and praising the Lord and like, how come I feel all alone? God, you're a great God. Why am I running for my life? That was his life. God had never abandoned him. When people say, well, just come to Jesus and everything will be better. Well, it's true, your sinful soul, your sinful condition will be dealt with. True. Your sins can be forgiven. But God doesn't always choose to heal people instantly. And sometimes your healing maybe have begun from the hurt and pain, but not complete. Brokenness is not, it's not evidence that you're not sincere. Brokenness is not evidence that God is not near. Brokenness is a reminder that you need to keep God very close. So success doesn't immune you from that. Emptiness doesn't mean that God's not around. I, I think another thing that I, as I'm reading through here, one of the things I've learned, that oftentimes lows will come after a high. After a huge high in your life. And that's why we try to encourage it. Don't be a slave to your emotions. Master your emotions. I mean, we all love to live high on the mountain, so we can almost hear God breathing next to us. And here's Elijah, the highest point of the mountain in his ministry, and he hits rock bottom. And I'm here to say that if, if your life is all about spiritual highs, you're going to be sorely disappointed. That's where spiritual warfare comes in. We have an enemy that wants to discourage us. That's why I tell people, every person I've ever baptized, I've always said to them, now you're going to get baptized. You're going to say to the congregation, you're going to proclaim that you are a follower of Jesus. This is a great moment in your life. You'll, you'll remember this as part of your spiritual journey. But I want to tell you, this week, I believe the enemy is going to put a target on your back because you've just made a public profession I, I, every time someone gives their testimony at church, I always say the same thing. This is going to be a great day. I'm so excited that you're getting to share your story you know, with the church family. But I want to tell you, I think there's going to be a target on your back this week. It seems that there's oftentimes lows that will come from a high. And highs can create huge vulnerability. And then Elijah goes on to say, listen, Lord, I, I'm actually the only one left that even loves you and follows you, and I'm running for my life. This is Elijah. I mean, there's 7,000 people that haven't bowed, but Elijah doesn't even know that. He, he just thinks he's the only one. And when oftentimes we move to those moments of maybe discouragement, feel moments of despair or depression, our view is that our struggle is permanent and it's only us. Like nothing is ever going to change. Like, there, you know, maybe a voice inside of us says, it's always going to be this way. Catherine uh, and I this week were 
in the office and we were talking, our children's director, and you know, there were some things that had come up this week and we were kind of discouraged about it and we were chatting and you know, those few moments when you think, oh, is it even worth it? What, why are we even doing this? And, and I remember saying to Catherine, you know, when you turn 50 years old and, and I turn 60, which won't be the same year, but when we get a little older, we're going to look back and we're going to laugh at this. Because it's not as bad as we think it is. I think sometimes we look at our situation and we think this is the worst. It can't get any worse than this. And I think to myself, maybe it's not as bad as I think. Having other people in your life, though, will help you have a, a better perspective. It, it will help you immensely. That's why, I, that's why I'm such a believer in small groups. People doing life together. When we get kind of blindsided and we, we can't quite see we have other people that can help us have a better perspective. Now, it's possible that you can uh, allow the enemy to convince you that at this low moment, this is going to define your life. But that's not true. It's not true. We cannot allow the enemy to convince us this is what our life will be. And I know oftentimes when you're in those moments of despair, you don't even want to hear from other people you know, what to be thankful for when you're in those moments. And sometimes we think it's just us, nobody else. You know how many times I've talked to people in this church who say, I know I'm the only one struggling with such and such. I'm like, oh, trust me. Oh, no, you're not. But sometimes we feel like uh, we're all alone, and, and it's what he feels, Elijah feels with God, and God reminds him, oh, no, no, Elijah. Oh, no, no, there's 7,000 more people that haven't bowed the knee or kissed the foot of Baal. And then God gives Elijah a job to do, to go to anoint some kings and to find his predecessor, who will be Elisha. I don't know if you ever have those moments that you, you just feel lonely. Like you're all alone. There is hope for you. There is hope for you. I know sometimes I feel that way, and I realize it's not even rational sometimes. Robin Williams made this statement. He said, I used to think that the worst thing in life was to end up all alone. He said, I was wrong. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel like you're all alone. Do you understand how important the church is? The church. How important it is when we gather together week after week, not just every five or six weeks, but having each other in our lives. It's, this community is vital. And so my prayer is that we could create a space, a church, uh, where, where people don't find condemnation. Yes, I know there's a lot of issues that we need to deal with. I get that. I understand that. But wouldn't it be great to create a space where people don't feel all alone? Let's be that choice, that place that people can come and not feel alone. That they can be a part of something that is far bigger than themselves. So if you're struggling this morning, if you find yourself feeling alone, if you find those moments of despair, maybe you've even had those thoughts, like, I don't know if life's even worth going on. 
from this passage, I think we can find some helpful things that can help us in moments like that. Now, the first thing, it seems so easy, so basic, and I've said this to so many people in 30 years of pastoring, I've said this a thousand times. People have come to my office, discouraged, and, and I'll say, you know, the most spiritual thing you can do? I'll say, what? Just get a good night's rest. Get rested. Sometimes that's the most spiritual thing you can do because we know when we're rested, we do much, much better. And of course, that's what happens to Elijah. He goes and he just sleeps. God lets him sleep. I get rested for the journey. And then I love it. It's so simple. God then just is so kind, so cool. He actually has a hot meal. Nourishes Elijah. He gets a night's rest. He gets some nourishment for the journey that is head, ahead of him. And then God helps him have a, a better perspective. See, Elijah just can think only one way. And then he gets a a better perspective. And I want to say, let people around you offer some wisdom to help you. We need people in our life. We were never designed to do life alone. Let other people gather around you. Be around people that are filled with hope. Get their perspective into your soul. And then I love with Elijah here. And God puts him right back to work. I want to encourage you to keep on serving. Keep on serving. Kind of get back on track. And then finally, be careful who you listen to. You know, you look at Elijah. Elijah is in the zone. You can't mess him up because he's listening to the voice of God. But as soon as he listens to Jezebel's voice, everything goes away. Man, his life just goes out the door. It's such a mess. So be careful whose voices you're listening to. I've talked to some of you who say, you know, you still hear those voices of maybe, because you grew up maybe in a dysfunctional family and you can hear the words maybe of your mom and just said, you'll never amount to anything. And you begin to believe that voice. Right? Well, there, there's no future for you. I'm just saying be careful to the voices that you listen to. Whose in your life. I think some of us, we're so quick to, to hear that voice that Jezebel gets, gives, and we're so discouraged. And I just want to say, don't let those moments tell you there's no future. There is a beautiful future when you walk with Christ. Now, I like to tell people, don't forget this moment when you're discouraged, sometimes they say, well, just forget all about it. No, I, I'm not too sure that's true. I think it is good to remember, not to forget, so you know where God has brought you from. So when you begin to soar, when you begin to fly, you know exactly where God has brought you from. Because I think God's created us to soar like eagles when we walk with him. Let me just say, there are no moments there are no moments that have no hope. There are no moments that have no hope. And there is always hope, even in the darkest nights. 
And I know sometimes we feel trapped, but there is always a door for hope. And Christ came to offer it. Hope for you this morning. Thanks for tuning in this morning. If God has used this ministry to bless you in any way, I encourage you to join us live Sunday mornings at 1030. For address, directions, and any more information, you can check us out online at templebaptist.com. God bless and have a great week. Shine like the sun.